Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. It's Bobo here from Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. I'm flying solo today, so bear with me. Cliff couldn't make it. But I got a good buddy on the day, a good friend of the show, Dave Beantown McCullough from Massachusetts, one of the Massachusetts key members. And we've been buddies for about 15 years now. I met him in uh, 2007 when he came to our 40th anniversary celebration of the PG film. So I first met Dave and kind of squatched with him on the West Coast uh, and the East Coast. Always have good luck when he's around. So, folks, give a warm welcome to Dave McCullough. Dave. Thank you, Bobo. How's it going, bud? I'm doing good. Nice to hear from you, and I'm sorry Cliff couldn't make it today. Hope you guys are well. Yeah, no complaints here, man. Doing all right. That's good to hear. So the weather's finally got good enough for you guys to do some more squatching back there, huh? Yes, it's really nice now. Everything's grown in. All the foliage is nice and green. Getting really warm. It got warm in a hurry. We had kind of a cool spring. It kind of jumped right into the warm weather, but no complaints there. Yeah, same here. We had a really, really late. Well, we had a late winter. <laughs> we had spring in like December through March, and then winter came around April. But it was reverse this year. But it's kind of a catch twenty-two back there. The weather gets better, but then you can't see anything because you guys got all those hardwoods and the leaves fill in and then you know you can see it real well in the winter and then all of a sudden in the summer it's like you're just looking at a green wall right yeah it's uh it gets pretty thick right now it's getting thicker in, in a lot of areas especially um in the east east side down in the south towards the cape cod it's uh it's kind of like a jungle once it's grown in a lot of thick impenetrable areas where do you usually go squatching um i go down that way a lot in the bridgewater triangle uh, I go to a few spots. I live up in the northeast, so there's a few spots close to me that I uh, just over the New Hampshire border, and some along along the border, but on the Mass side. Is the Cobble Mountain? Is that part of the Bridgewater Triangle? No, that's uh, that's out in Western Mass, out in the Berkshires. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I've read reports from there and heard people talk about that quite a bit. And yeah, a lot of old old accounts. Uh, even some recently, up until the past couple of years, but a lot of lot of old history there. But a lot of uh, probably the last three or four years, we've had quite a few calls. Checked out a few. Uh, I think two of them made it to the BFRO website, and uh, I think there was a one of them was uh, running through a field, and the other ones were while people were driving, they saw it in their car. Okay, so uh, how often do you get out in the field, Dave? Um, I get out once a week, sometimes two or three times when I, my uh, 
schedule permits, but definitely once a weekend. And I try to get out a couple weekday mornings. I can sneak out for an hour or two. Those ones I'll go to the closest spots. But if I know I'm going a couple hours down southeast Mass or two to three hours if I want to go out western Mass, usually if I go out that way, I'll um, stay overnight, do an overnight. You go with John uh, Wilk a lot, right? I do, yeah. We do a lot out that way. Quabbin Reservoir, Berkshire Mountains, a lot of stuff out there. October Mountain, Cobble Mountain, like you said. Yeah, for those who don't realize it, Massachusetts, I've gone squatching there five times. Dave was there a couple times. And I'm five for five on having action there. It's my number one state for most activity. And it's because I had you guys guide me, you, um, John Wilk, and then Eric and Tim, the brothers. But it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a great spot to go. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of action there. There is. There's a couple of really good mountains where there's really low populations, very small towns, uh, as opposed to the East Coast, East Side of Mass. It's uh, bigger towns and some cities, but out that way, it's uh, really, you can get into some really remote where there's not a lot of people, very, very low populations in all the towns. Where have you personally had your most activity at? Uh, the Quabbin, John and I, that was my last good one. That was, I want to say, three years ago. That was around the east side of the Quabbin Reservoir. And that was, um, there was John and I and two other people. And that was a good um, tree snap and slam to the ground, pretty close range. Probably, it was definitely probably not more than 50 yards away. It was loud and clear. And we did a couple calls. And we just stopped for a while. We were just kind of talking, low whispering. And you heard kind of a uh, rustle in the grass. Then a, just a really good snap. And it, all in one motion, like snapped and into the ground, sl- slammed into the ground pretty good. And um, then, But then there was really nothing. It was just that one good event pretty close. We hung out for a little while, nothing else. Um, we had the therms, really didn't see nothing. Outside of deer and other, other normal things, but... Uh, the tree snap was really, really got us going. When did you get, because I, I saw that video or picture you got. It was it was a still from a video, right? You got the out at Quabbin? Yes, I think that was a woman that sent it to John. Oh, I thought you filmed it. Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't gotten anything on film yet. I'm hoping to. If it's the same one, I think I'm thinking of a different one myself. But um, I've seen a couple out with him, but from a distance and just kind of like a a black blob. I can't really say what it was, but it was something that just poked out of the brush, maybe two seconds tops. And the more I looked at it, it's just gone. That was uh, two years ago also. And that was just outside the Quabbin. That was on the West side of the Quabbin. Actually, we saw a lot of good structures, a lot of good, um, like weaving and snaps, seen a lot of signs of them, but, um, I'm still really waiting for a really good head-to-toe, kind of up up closer where I know what it is. I've seen blobs, but too far to really put your finger on it, and you know, because there are a lot of black bears, and it was too far away. It was just like a black, a black shape, and there and gone. But didn't you do a size comparison with John at where you saw it? Um, We did do one with a witness that actually saw a white one in the Quabbin. Where I stood in, I actually stood in like you, like the show they were saying, and uh, it was head and shoulders above me, at least by a foot, foot and a half maybe. 
that's what I was thinking of. That's what I was getting confused with your sighting, the, the woman's footage, and then the other sighting. Yeah, okay, I got them all mixed up. Yeah, there's been um, over the years. Actually, in the amount of years, there's really not a whole lot of, um, like, I haven't seen a track. I ha- I've seen a lot of structures and signs of them. And the two really good vocalizations, one up in Vermont, uh, one in Western Mass. And uh, But overall, I'm, I'd love to find a nice track or a Dynasty one where it's indisputable of what I saw. That's what keeps me, kind of keeps me going. That's the goal, that personal confirmation. I mean, that's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, you, you want to get it on film, obviously, but so few people do. And almost no one gets anything worth a damn anyways, but just getting that enough to see where you know for yourself, like, this is real. I'm not wasting my time and these things are out there. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. But, I mean, you don't, do, you, do you need to see one? That, have you really think they're there for sure? No, I think the tree snapping and slammed into the ground and nothing else around. We we went in pretty deep where there was, there was no people around for a long time and it was kind of late at night. And I think by John having the thermal, we would have seen people. We we didn't see anyone for a long time. And this just kind of come out of nowhere, caught us off guard. No yelling, just a a clear snap and bang. That thing hit the ground pretty good where it was. You can rule out everything else. We we couldn't come up with anything else. But um, that's probably as close as I've been. Then I did have another tree snap in Mason, New Hampshire, that was not far over the mass border with uh, another BFRO researcher on another case. So in my whole time doing this, I've had two really good vocalizations and two tree snaps, and that was the other tree snap. And again, that was very similar because after the snap, my partner with me, he had his thermal weighed out, and he never saw nothing on the thermal. It was baffling, and we both heard it clear as day. And this is when uh, it was a group of 10 of us and the eight people left and me and him stayed behind and they were gone long out of sight for probably five or 10 minutes. And we just, as soon as we started walking to head out uh, another one, you could hear the tree swinging and then snapping into the ground. And we both jumped because we didn't, we had never heard nothing in that direction before. And that was pretty close too. And, um, he actually had his therm on and already on, and there was nothing. But there was there was a lot of debris, a lot of boulders around. Something could have hidden, but for something that, that could do that, and then he put it right up, maybe two seconds he had his thermal in that direction, and uh, he, he didn't see anything. How close do you think the tree got torn down was? Oh, that was, well, we were on the edge of the lake, so it couldn't have been 30 yards between 20 and 30 yards because there was not much woods and then there was the lake. We were like on the side of a lake. When you guys heard those ones snapping, did you ever do anything to uh, provoke them? Did you do any calls or sounds? Well, on that time we were, um, when the 10 people were there, we were doing calls. A couple people did a couple knocks and we probably hung around for a good 15, 20 minutes and then they just all took off and, uh, he likes to stay behind. This guy's good researcher, Jeff Shepard. He's out of uh, BFRO, out of Newburyport. He uh, likes to trail. Likes to Actually, he likes to do it a lot alone. And I goes, hey, do you mind if I stay back with you? He goes, yeah, sure. So they were all gone. And, and this was, yeah, it was probably 20 minutes after a couple knocks. And 
So I think it's seen the group leave, and maybe we caught it off guard because we just kind of held our, just stayed there and um, didn't really say much. We just listened. And then when we just started whispering, hey, so what do you think? You want to head out? As soon as we whispered um, was the crash. You could hear something like a tree move. You could hear brush moving and then the big snap. And same exact thing, snapped and right into the ground with some force. You didn't hear the vocalizations when I did that public uh, expedition in Massachusetts a couple of years ago when we heard him that night during the storm. Weren't you there at the big bonfire? Yeah, I did. That was uh, that was a cold night, too. Oh, God. 12 degrees with a howling cold wind. Yeah, that's too big. You can't plan that. And that was, I want to say, what, late October, November? It was November. It was the second week of November. Right. Yeah, that was really cold. That was, that was a pretty good call. You don't count that as a good call you heard? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, not as clear. Well, the other two, I was alone. This one, I kind of heard it in the distance, and I could see everyone's reaction. I'm like, it confirmed it for me. When I seen everyone else look, did you hear that? And I'm like, I did. I wasn't going to say nothing unless someone else said, hey, I just heard that. But um, that was Western Mass also. Then I, I I was with Craig Woolheater and Mark DeWorth, and we heard a, a Squatch do an Ohio howl, like a short version one, at John's house when we were sitting there watching TV one night. Wow. Yeah, John's been my good luck charm out there, that's for sure. He is, yeah. You have a good batting average out here. We'll have to come back out. I know. Speaking of batting averages, he's uh, recently retired Dustin Pedroia, second baseman for the Red Sox. John's friends with him, and... Took me out there, took me to some games, got to see some games there. Then, well, we got to go see the Celtics play a good game. And Ronnie got us going to see the Patriots. I mean, had some good times out there. The bet by Dustin Pedroia signed for you. That's quite a piece. That thing's awesome. And I seen, uh, I saw the pictures, the out in the pitcher's mound. And that's the uh, Cathedral of Baseball you were out there, painting the mound. Yeah, I was a Sox fan since I was a little kid. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. So uh, and so you go down to the Bridgewater Triangle, like how far do you live from there? I'm uh, an hour and a half from there to be right down in the, probably in the center of it. So it's not too far. What have you, like what kind of stuff you had going on down there, like any orbs or that sort of thing? Um, we did have on the BFRO expedition, I think it was 18. We had uh, not a couple of Bigfoot things, but we actually saw a lot of lights. And we had one time where there was 10 of us. And we, we were um, situated right in the line where all the planes come into Logan Airport in Boston. And uh, this thing came in a totally different direction, but it was way up in the sky. And it was actually not blinking on and off. It was kind of like dimming down. Then it would be completely off. And then it would light up again in a totally different track. And uh, 
one of the guys that was with us, that's actually his specialty, Spooky South Coast, is more of a UFO group. And he was saying right off the bat, he's the one that noticed it. And uh, was he called it powering up and down, but it dim out. Uh, then you'd see it in a different spot, kind of dim, then it'd get really bright. So that was interesting. Plus, I, I've seen orbs on a few occasions. A lot of stuff down that way. Like, what colors are these lights you've been seeing? I seen, uh, the one I seen up close was uh, probably the first one I saw. It was orange, and it was like just a little tiny, probably like the baseball size. And it shot out of the bushes and just paused for one second. It was just shot up in the sky. And um, there's another guy with me. This was actually in Whitehall, New York, years ago. And I went out on a BFRO expedition in New York and um, heard a rustling in the brush and it just popped out like bell tie and then it just I mean it literally just shot straight up in the air and gone you heard rustling yeah we heard like heard something in the bush that's why we both kind of turned we heard like the bush kind of like some kind of you know almost like the bush is moving and we both turned like what the heck's that and this thing just all in within a split second it just gone but it was it stopped for a second right where we were standing then it just took off and but yeah it come out of the bushes that we were uh, standing in front of pretty freaky what color was that one and how big was it that was uh, like a reddish orange small too and this kid was new to it he had never been out he had just heard we were out and came out and he, he was a big big kid and he just wanted i'm out of here <laughs> and he just came out he was probably only out for a half hour so far and he's like i've had enough take me back so what got what got you into the bigfoot field well i was always into that stuff as a kid the in search of program with leonard nimoy but never pursued it and just reading some books and then um uh, starting to read all the information that came out in the 90s with the internet and seeing how how many reports there were all the actually just getting so much more information about it and then seeing the expeditions. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try one of these. I just wanted to uh, take it a step further. Like I want to see for myself, basically. And by going to Whitehall, that's where I met. That was my first time out to it. Uh, met Matt, moneymaker. He took us out, uh, met some of the police officers that had the sightings. Took us to the golf course, another famous incident with a golf course owner. Skeen Valley. Yeah, yeah. And that was, uh, that's where I got my toes wet and I just got hooked. Yeah, I never knew that. I never knew that you went on an expedition before we met you. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, 2005, probably a couple of years before the 40th. So back to the Bridgewater Triangle, what stories have you heard on that you found compelling that you talked to the witness and found it, you know, like you believed him. Um, I had two cases with the BFRO that uh, they had me come to their house and really got to meet them, got to know them. And um, they were both no-nonsense guys that just kind of wanted to share this with someone, someone that had believed them and took me right to the site where it happened. One of them uh, was a road crossing in daytime. Uh, it was a cloudy, foggy day and it ran out across the road in Hanson, Mass., which is in the Triangle. And this guy was an uh, older gentleman, very reputable, though. He worked for the 
Patriot Ledger out of Quincy, the newspaper. And the other guy uh, saw it in his yard right at dawn when he was letting his dogs out for, you know, do their business. And the dogs came running right back up onto the deck, and he was like, wow, they never do that. They usually just take off. And when he did, he looked at the dogs, and they, they were, like, right by him. And he looked up, and this thing was just coming around his shed, like, into his yard, and it froze. And he said, I, I definitely caught it off guard, and the dogs did too. It was probably coming in right when he let them out. And it was actually stepped over a stone wall. So he turned, he had, uh, he was still at his door. And when he reached, he keeps a flashlight by the door. He took one step to grab the flashlight and went back, and it was gone. And this was um, not fully bright, but it was just starting to get light out. He really didn't see anything else, any other signs, but he saw it for sure. Outside of the silhouette and the shaggy hair, he really didn't get a whole lot of details because it was um, kind of overcast and not quite bright yet. But uh, he was definitely knew what he saw. He's called me a couple times after that and just excited to talk about it with someone that would... Same thing. He he told uh, his family and friends, and he he kind of got laughed at the butt of everyone's joke. And so uh, when I went there, actually, Eric Vogel went with me, and he was pretty convinced too. He goes, "There was a no nonsense." We've had a couple that you go there, and you know they're pulling you, you know, they they're messing with you. But uh, these two that I I filed the reports, they're both on the VFRO and. Uh, very convincing. The other guy had a good sight of it running across the road. And um, he actually slowed down because he saw it kind of coming down a hill. And when it, it kind of turned towards him when it was in the middle of the road and while it was looking at him, there's a car coming the other way. It kind of brushed him and he said it threw both arms up as soon as the car might have even brushed him. He said it just threw his, both his arms up and Kept going the same direction up into the woods, but he said it was like, uh, I don't know, three steps and it was gone. It was just gone in an instant. Like a human, like, what the hell are you doing throwing your arms up? Like, what's your problem? Like that. Yeah, exactly. I think it was watching him and it didn't really see the other car coming the other way. So they had to have seen it too. He said there was, you know, an SUV full of people. There's people that never talked about it also because uh, he said they had to see it. They almost hit it. He went into the woods where it went in, and he walked around a little bit. He didn't say nothing, but he said he felt really creeped out because there wasn't a whole lot of cover, and there was nothing as far as he could see. It was kind of like a, a little trees on the side, but he said there was a big open field where he thought for sure, I'll see this thing out in the field. And when he got up into the trees and looked into the field, he said there was nothing, nothing at all, no tracks. Probably was laying down. Could have been, yeah. I think they might do that a lot. Like another, there was a case in New Hampshire. A guy was walking his dogs and seeing it run across the path, and he wasn't far from the path. And he hustled up to uh, the opening. He said it was like a pretty big clearing, and there was nothing. He said so. This thing either jumped behind a tree or a rock or. There's no way it could have covered this ground that fast, he was saying. So that that really creeped him out, too, because he was saying 
that thing's still close by because it couldn't have got that far. And so he hustled out of there too. I think just the sight. When the guy that's seen across the road actually got creeped out too, and he felt the same thing. He goes, this thing couldn't have gone that far, so it's still around here somewhere, probably watching him. Oh, for sure. I think they lay down more than people even suspect. I mean, I think they do that a lot. Yeah, because they know, they probably know someone's going to come in and look or try and get a picture or... But uh, that was that was a good one. There's been a few good ones. Yeah, I, I was uh, we were working on a logging crew, and we were driving up early up the 101 one morning. Up, up we're uh, actually in Redwood National Park, and right where the freshwater beaches where it starts to bend inland into, into the town of Oric, we were driving. There's a in the summer, it's just like you know, like a grassy area. It's off to the right side, east of the road. And right in there, in the winter, though, it fills up with water. It's like calf, knee-high, marshy. And it was about 30 degrees out, so there was, you know, it was icy, kind of. And this guy, I couldn't see it as well because the defrost didn't work on the passenger side, and I had been had my head against the window kind of dozing on and off. And I always stayed awake, though. I usually drove, and I always stayed awake, though, to try to see something, like see a squatch or something. And he's like, the guy driving started freaking out, going, what is, whoa, look at that guy, what the... And the dude got down like into a, looked like he was wearing a cape or something almost. Like it was, because it was so broad, you know, the person would have had to have like a poncho on or something. And it went down in a push-up position, kept its chest just out of the water, like a head and chest out of the water. Until we drove by, we, we drove back and it was gone. And I always wondered, I was wondering, like, couldn't say for sure it wasn't some homeless guy or something down in there or a crazy guy, but I, I still think that was probably a squatch. Yeah, especially dipping down into the cold water. Yeah, exactly. So I was going to ask you, what are the usual colors you hear for Sasquatches back there? Um, we've seen the the one woman that took us out to the quab, and it was actually a tan, a lighter, a lot lighter one. Uh, another woman, it was brown. Um, we've heard a couple with jet black. In fact, um I want to say three years ago on a BFRO expedition, a lot of people saw it. It was, it was dark black. Actually, John was leading that expedition. He saw it. Probably four or five other members saw it that were on the expedition, and that was uh, that was actually in the rain too. That was a rainy day where no one expected anything, and this was one I couldn't make. And uh, of course, they see one. Hmm. Of course. So you just you don't you don't hear like a particular color like consistently do you get the red like orange red orangutan colors reported i think there was a few of those up in uh, october mountain in the i think in the 70s there was a guy might have been mom Greylock. anyways it, and that was a red one he said the first thing it reminded him of was an orangutan color what's the usual height what do people report the big monsters or more like the yeah, they were. There was a good one going back to the triangle. There was um, when you said if there were any really credible, there was a, a police officer was answering a call of a prowler, and it was in a, probably a two week span. There was several sightings, and he was filling out the report, and he got his car rocked, and he just saw a big brown, and his rearview mirror it was actually shaking the car from the back, and he just <laughs> he. He hightailed high, it out of there. Did you talk to this policeman? I didn't know. This was an older one. I think this was in the 80s. 
But that was pretty credible. That was in the Boston Herald. Uh, the guy swore to it. A lot of times the cops, they don't want their name on it or anyone in those kind of positions. But he, uh, he was in the Boston Herald. Um, the one we did in Western Mass, woman said at least at least seven feet. And that one, she um, she caught it off guard. It was coming through the woods, and she heard this woman sets up her. Uh, she does sky watching on a on a hill, and uh, brings her chair out and her dog, and lets it run around. And the dog came running out of the brush, and she could hear some noises, and she assumed it was a deer or two coming through because they have a ton of them around there. And this thing walked out, and then it looked towards her, and it, it actually um, was startled. That's the way she described it. It kind of, um, sorry about the noise. She said it kind of like made a sound that, like, oh, can't believe this, a person, because she sits right next to the the woods, and it's just a big open field, so it was maybe a half hour before sunset, and just starting to get dark. And she said it was more scared of me than I was of it. She said it took her a second to, what the heck is this? And when it saw her, it made that gasp and just took off. And she got to get a good look because it, it didn't run back into the woods. It just kept, ran in the same direction it was going, but uh, just took off it really fast. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting because... When you hear people describe them, you know, you ask them, is it more gorilla-like, orangutan-like, or human-like? And when people say that surprise expression on their face, they're like, they'll say, like, it seemed more human just because the look, it was just like a human way it looks so shocked. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. She said, that's what she said, surprise. She said it looked really surprised that I was sitting there. And she was shocked. She goes, but this thing looked more surprised than I was. And it kind of... Like the sound it made would be like a person saying, oh, like what the heck's this? Yes. So I, same thing. I went out and stood where she saw it, uh, started running when she said to start running. And she goes, you were probably a foot and a half to two feet smaller than this thing. So I'm a little under six feet. So this thing had to be eight feet tall. So you guys get the pretty standard North American type reports, seven, eight feet usual colors, nothing out of the ordinary. So you ever have any UFO action out there? Um, I've seen like some weird lights outside of the orbs. I've maybe twice. And there's a lot of that stuff down by Cape Cod, actually. People have seen them. Um, the guy that he's a good friend of mine that runs Spooky South Coast, he's uh, got reports that they've gone in and out of the Cape Cod Channel. People have seen them go in the water. Really? Yeah, and this is, I think, two years ago. So there's been a lot of stuff. And there's a famous case. There was two uh, news reporters from Channel 7 that both lived down that way, and they were both driving to work. And they saw one uh, hovering above the road, and they were following it. And this is while, you know, before it's dark, they were heading in to do the news. Two well-known uh, newscasters. So that was pretty credible. And one of them actually drew it. And it's been in a couple of documentaries on the Bridgewater Triangle. He's even gone right on camera and to told all about it. I, the other guy didn't, but he, he spoke to the newspaper, but he didn't go on camera and say it. But he didn't deny it. I do remember that one, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, instead of the UFOs, it's the, I guess, 
USO, under, underwater submerged object or whatever? Yeah, there's been old Southeast Mass seems to have a lot of that just off the Cape. Or even, like I said, the channel, the Cape Cod Canal that comes in, and very bizarre. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So where, where all have you gone squatching in your, your days? I know you've hit the West Coast, some of the East Coast. Where, what states have you been to? Uh, like New, upstate New York, Whitehall first. Um, cu- Quite a few times up in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, we had one in Western Connecticut that seems to be a lot of lot of old history there. The Winstead Wildman. Not as much out there. Most of my trips out west, not a whole lot of squatching, and it's more, you know, the anniversary stuff, a couple conferences. Uh, except when we were out with you when you took us out. On the Redwoods? Redwoods, Fern. Was it Fern Canyon? Yeah, Fern Canyon. That was that was cool getting out there. I'd like to get out there more. Fern Canyon's where they filmed the uh, the original Jurassic Park when Newman from Seinfeld, the fat guy, rolled down the hill and those little lizard guys. That was Fern Canyon. That's what that's the actual spot. Yeah, I knew, I heard, but I didn't know what scene it was. That's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, so we also had that classic road trip where we went wine tasting. We were going from San Francisco back up to Humboldt to my place and. It's <laughs> five-hour drive turned into a fifteen-hour drive. Wine tasting, casino, Indian casinos. That was a good trip. I was riding shotgun with monkey in the back. <laughs> that was my funnest trip ever driving home. That was for sure. Yeah, a lot of side, a lot of uh, pit stops. Pi gal, <laughs> pi gal. That was a blast. I was, I was winning, man, John. I was still so mad at John. He made me leave because he had the car, and I was winning. I'm like, how can I'm totally kicking ass in Paga? How come you want? We can't leave now. And I still I left like 400 bucks up, so that was cool. That's cool. It's funny because I'm not a big player, but once you showed me how, I we had a blast. Yeah, yeah, that's good times. So, what do you got in your future coming up, Dave? Any uh, adventures this summer going out in the field? Well, I got a couple coming up where we have a lot of new members on our Facebook page that are really new to it and looking to get out. I'm planning a couple um, day trips to take people out, show them, you know, what to do out in the trails and more about what you need, how to, you know, how to be safe. And uh, John's having a big event in October, Squatchtoberfest. Yeah, October 15th. October 15th. Yeah, that's in Chicopee, Mass. And we've got a good lineup so far. I'm still working on some things, but it's uh, Dr. Jeff Malzum. Cliff will be there, your partner. Lauren Coleman, Scott Nelson, the linguist, and Steve Coles. Dude, that's such an all-star lineup. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. We've got a lot of friends coming also from uh, some different areas. Should be a great time in the fall. Yeah, I talked to John today. There's no tickets for sale yet. Keep your eyes open, folks. That's going to be out in Massachusetts uh, October 15th. Don't miss that one. It's going to be awesome. He he invited me to go, but I can't make him doing those documentaries, so I'm not going to be out there. But I would go. That that place is – it's I love it there, man. It's, I mean, like I, I'm five for five. People are cool. It's beautiful. Great time. I mean, you're there for the leaves changing colors. It's just going to be great. Yeah, that's, that's my f- personal favorite time of year was the fall – Seems like late summer, fall here, it gets really um, 
either a lot of calls or just a lot of activity. Yeah, the whole U.S. is like that. I mean, all of North America, the action picks up fall. That's when it's prime time. Yeah, it seems that way. So, Dave, you have any ghost stories for us? Actually, I've I've had a couple weird things happen where I'm living now. I can't say it was a ghost, but my girlfriend and I just have no explanation for, uh, you know, things moving, things just out of place. Other than that, I've heard a lot of stuff from, you know, some friends I've made that are into that. That's the thing with this. We've met, done quite a few shows now with uh, paranormal groups, ghost hunters, UFO people. I don't talk to those weirdos. Yeah, I've been invited on a couple, actually. I, I kind of, I'm all set with that. I know a guy, uh, actually a good friend of mine used to do it, and he had something follow him home where he had, and it was, wasn't was good stuff. And he never had nothing in his house. This is a house he grew up in and never had anything there his whole life. And once he got involved with this and did a few cases, he had a lot of stuff, a little more violent, like smashing stuff, just bizarre stuff. And he, he um, got out of it. He, he stopped doing that. He had uh, his house exercised, and people come in and blessed it. I mean, it's it's kind of stopped, but um, I don't want to get involved with that stuff. Hell no. And they they kind of laughing at me like, yeah, but you'll go out in the woods and look for this. Yeah, but this thing ain't going to. From what I've gathered, it, it's if it wanted to, it could have stepped out on a lot of people and grabbed them. It was a lot of people have been that close to it where they've they've said, you know, if it wanted me, it was I was right there. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Been that close, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get charged. Didn't you get bluff charged? A couple times, yeah. Like like full bluff charges, maybe like four in the last 30-something years. Wow. But it's it's a rush. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet you're seeing it's a rush. Never mind it running at you. I never saw them, though. It was just, the only time I kind of saw a little something was – the first time, and I couldn't, it was just blacker than black. Like it was the blackest black you ever seen. These big black blurs just moving so fast you couldn't believe. Like, dude, like faster than a horse could run. It was just unbelievably fast. And they just ran past me, got behind me, and that's when that big one growled at me. Scared. That was still the scariest day of my life or night of my life. But the other ones weren't so bad. I was just kind of, they, they didn't sound as big as those ones for one thing. And, uh, they didn't get as close. These were in California that happened? Yeah, one was in Bluff Creek, the one where I saw that one in the daytime. Then later in the day, coming back up, coming back into camp. Well, we weren't back to camp yet. We were probably a third of a mile from camp, something like that. And uh, this thing just charged us through the brush. I never saw it, but Monkey charged into the brush after it. And that's the time I saw Monkey, like she was running, she'd come, she'd come out of the brush and there was this huge stomping and like branches breaking and foliage, you know, getting torn up. And Monkey, I'd see Monkey, I'd just screaming and yelling, I thought she was going to get killed. Come here, Monkey, come here. And she just was running. I'd see her scamper out of the brush with her tail down, like on her tongue hanging out, like she was smiling. Like her, you know, dogs, when dogs run and play, they put their butt down a lot of times. That's what she was doing. She was jarting back in and she was growling and barking and, I think she was playing with the small one, I think is, I think is what happened. Um, I saw about a 5-foot-10 one there, and then I saw about a 9-foot one there. So it could have been either one, I guess. She must have got a good look also. Oh, dude, that's because we said... I did try hooking up cams on her a couple of times, like monkey cams, but it's just such thick brush, and she always goes straight into the brush. 
and they always got hung up. It, it just didn't work. I mean, I'm sure you, it'd be pretty easy to design something that would work. I'm, you know, if, if you were into that, like, uh, if you if you were handy like that, you could. I'm sure you could rig up a camera that would work. Uh, I'd like to have one. I'd like to have like another so small, like those surveillance cameras. Have one pointing forward, one off each side, and one facing backwards, just like on a center mount. You know, something like that. Yeah, I think there's a video out there from years ago. Someone had one on a dog, and I uh, could see something run across the trail. Yeah, I think that's fake. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I think I think the, I think the dog knew the person in the costume because they didn't. The dog didn't even react. Yeah, that's right too. Right on, Dave. Was there anything else you want to cover? Is there, are we forgetting anything? I don't think so. I just all of just had so much fun doing this over the years and meeting so many nice people like you guys and. You know, I've made friends from around the country. Yeah, for sure. That, that's true, man. Bigfoot's brought me a lot of good friends. Well, I guess, folks, if uh, you want to talk to Dave some more, you can meet him in, uh, what you say? It's a Chickasaw or Chicopee? Chicopee. October 15th this year. Got an all-star lineup. Dr. Meldrum, Cliff, um, Sasquatch Detective, uh, Scott Nelson, the crypto linguist, got this studies Bigfoot language. Um, who else is on the bill? Uh, Lauren Coleman. Yeah, Lauren Coleman from the International Cryptozoology, International Cryptozoology Museum. He's always a great speaker. That's going to be fun, man. Um, jelly. Yeah, it's too bad you can't come out. Um, really looking forward to it for having something out this way. It's going to be a good one. All right, Beantown. Well, thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Wanted. Yeah. Yeah. You can follow these guys at squatchachusetts.com or the squatchachusetts uh, Facebook page. That's where I see them. They, they usually got something fun going on there and interesting. So check them out. Thank you again. Thank you for the plug and having me on. All right, Dave. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, brother. You too. Take care, Bobo. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 